Blog Talk Radio. Oriented talk radio show. Each month we dedicate about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in education leadership, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. This month our guests are Drew Deutsch, uh, who is the regional director for International Baccalaureate Organization, and Ms. Monique Lewis, who is the principal of Fondren World School in Houston ISD. Welcome. Thank you, Dr. Perkins. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I appreciate the time being here. No problem. Uh, to our faithful listeners, welcome back. And uh, thank you for being part of our family that is now over 5,000 listeners strong every month. And to our new listeners, uh, we're glad you've joined us. So this month we're going to jump right in and start our conversation. So much to talk about. Um, we have uh, special guests, as usual, and we're going to talk about the International Baccalaureate Program um, and that is a program that has, is, is well known in education circles. And um, so I just want to start, uh, Drew, um, if you could tell us briefly a little bit about um, the history of IB um, for some of our listeners uh, that uh, are familiar with the standards and uh, certainly uh, world-class organization that it is, um, but don't know much about the history. Tell us a little bit about IB, how it got started, and, and how you uh, arrived to where you are today. Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, the International Baccalaureate is a Swiss-based uh, nonprofit, so we have our foundation office in Switzerland, and it was started in 1968 by a small group of private international school educators who had two main goals in mind. The first goal was to bring about a better world through education, and that remains true today uh, in that we're a mission-driven organization with that very goal at the center of our mission statement, bringing about a better world for education. The second goal was to create a high school graduation credential that was understood on a global basis. So serving the needs of students at international schools, if you had a student who was going to school uh, in Japan and wanted to come to university in the United States as an example, um, they wanted to develop a graduation credential that multiple countries could understand and they designed an international baccalaureate program that includes uh, coursework in six main areas, um, uh, uh, mother tongue, so let's say in the case of the United States, English, language and literature is one of the required courses, and then students are required to take a second language, and then four additional courses in things like math, science, uh, humanities, the arts, uh, or an elective. So fast forward 45 years, the IB is much more than the diploma program that uh, was introduced in 1968 as our sort of uh, first uh, program or curriculum offering. And what we've sort of diversified into is basically to provide the benefits of an internationally minded education that focuses on skills like critical thinking and writing and broadened it to the skills needed um, across the K-12 continuum from kindergarten to 12th grade and made sure that it's, uh, again, 
an internationally minded education that focuses on critical thinking. Um, so to that end, we now have a total of four programs. Joining our, our sort of foundation program, the diploma program, we now have the primary years program that covers elementary school, the middle years program that Monique will speak more in detail about at her school, um, as well as the diploma program. And then in 2012, we also added the IB career-related certificate that basically takes the best of the diploma program and marries it with a career or technical curriculum or education that a high school is already offering, joins work in both of the programs together to, to give the student the opportunity to earn the IBCC certificate that basically, in addition to career coursework and two diploma courses, includes an element of language acquisition as well as a personal project that deals with an ethical issue in the student's career field. So let's say uh, you have a civil engineering um, course uh, at your school, it might deal with some um, ethical issues in civil engineering as your ethical project or capstone project, if you will. And there are some additional elements that make up the IBCC. But one thing I, I want to focus on before turning things back to you is over the course of our history, I mentioned that in 1968 it was started by a, a small group of private international school educators. Um, it's where the, the footprint of IB has become much more diverse since then. In particular, in the early 80s, educators in the U.S. public school sector started to take notice of the transforma transformative effect that bringing an IB program in could have on a learning community, both in terms of student outcomes as well as re-energizing re the, the, um, the work of an academic staff and, and the teams involved in delivering an education. So things really started in the early 80s in the public school sector in the U.S. And fast forward to today, um, about 90% of the IB schools in the U.S. are public schools. If you look at that statistic on a global basis, it's almost in reverse. So it's kind of neat to see that in the United States, Public school students, regardless of their, their personal socioeconomic uh, um, uh, situation, have access to an IB education. So what I, what I see when I go around the Americas, which I'm responsible for overseeing the work that we do with schools from Canada down to Chile, um, it really gets me excited when I see IB programs being implemented in public schools, whether they're here in the United States or perhaps later in the program, I talk to you about some of the work we're doing in Ecuador and Argentina and the city of Chicago, which are large-scale state-funded um, initiatives to bring an IB education to all students um, or students regardless of their personal circumstances. So there's some exciting work um, that we're doing. It keeps us busy, but the thing that, that gets me excited about coming to work every day, in particular as an IB graduate myself who went to one of those international schools, it's great to see that the benefits that I had in, in my sort of protected bubble in New York City growing up um, has become much more in terms of uh, reaching students um, uh, from very diverse backgrounds and, and uh, different types of schools. So it's a pretty exciting time for us here at the IB. Sure, and you know, you, you actually hit right on one of my follow-up questions that I had anticipated um, was that, you know, I, I remember, um, you know, 10 years, 10, 15 years ago, uh, even um, in terms of what my perception was about IB and who was, particular, who was participating in IB schools, and I was going to ask, 
whether it was kind of a pers- just my perception or was it was there data to support that it certainly appears now that IV has a presence in in a lot of urban um, inner city uh, districts, um, and so um, that that statistic you mentioned um, seems to support that. Um, but I guess as a follow up. Um, what would you say to you know to the question about um, urban inner city schools? I mean, you know, we, yep. our guest is from Houston, and I'm going to jump to her in just a moment. But what what about the statistics there? Is that where you're seeing most of your um, your your participation is in the urban that, district? Yep, that's a great question, and uh, two uh, two data points or stories to share with you. The first is um, we do look at the sort of profile. Uh, of schools as part of the application process. And what we've determined in looking at, at some of the data is that more than half of the public schools that we serve or support in the United States are what are referred to as Title I schools, which are defined as um, schools that are receiving, uh, have a, uh, more than 40% of students who are eligible for free and reduced meals through the federal program. So that sort of speaks to the fact that um, this is working for both schools that are, you know, in in high socioeconomic areas, as well as more than half of them are in areas that are serving students that, you know, uh, have some socioeconomic uh, challenges. So, following up on that point, if you look at a place like the city of Chicago, in 2011/2012, we released a study that the uh, University of Chicago um, led. Uh, with our support as well as a research research consortium of universities in Chicago that looked at IB student performance in Chicago public schools because there is a, a, a high number of schools that support IB programs in that district. And what it did, it, it, did a, it did a study comparing the students who had had exposure to IB, not necessarily whether they graduated the full diploma and met the, and, and met the criteria for the six courses, did an extended essay and all that, but it was just they looked at students who had exposure to at least an IB course or did the full diploma and may not have passed or did pass and compared their performance against students, similarly able students academically who didn't have exposure to IB. And what the study showed was that those group of students were more likely to get into a more selective university, but more importantly, those group, that group of students, the IB students, were more likely to persist at university and graduate, um, which okay. is tremendous. So yeah, one thing, right around the same time that that study was published, Mayor Rahm Emanuel took office and decided that education was going to be one of the pillars that he wanted to stand on, and he saw the successes of IB within the district, and has since decided to expand his IB programs, making them wall-to-wall, meaning all-inclusive, um, at the buildings where they are, and then adding a number of IB programs to the mix as well. Wow. Fascinating, fascinating. Mm-hmm. And so, um, uh, Ms. Lewis, um, yes. as I've become aware that um, you've, you've actually experienced your school um, at at least two different levels, um, I've uh, become aware that um, this is the place where you went to middle school as a student, and is, and yeah. now you're you're back as the principal. So that that is fascinating. Um, tell us a little bit about um, not necessarily uh, Farnsworth Middle when you were there, but 
feel free if you if you choose to. But but um, the before and after, what does it look like? So, in, in your case, certainly it's just a case study. But um, in your case, there was a, a fonder. And tell us what that looked like before, and what one would expect to see different now that you have selected ID. What 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 is what's the difference? What's the basis? Well, that's an excellent question, and yes, I, I was a, uh, I am an alumni of Fondren Middle School and a very proud one. So this work is very personal um, and very exciting work. And, you know, the great thing about working with a district like Houston Independent School District is that there is always a push for academic excellence. Um, and when you put IB and you marry the two together, um, you come out with a brilliant product uh, when this uh, program, when this IB program is implemented well and done so with fidelity. But kind of, you know, to speak more to your question, Dr. Perkins, just about a before and after. So what you would expect to see in a school like Fondren before there was an IB attached to it would be, again, increased learning, professional development, uh, where there are professional learning communities um, within the within the school day to give teachers time to work together and uh, do uh, cross-curricular studies and understand what, what's going to be best to meet the needs of the students. Um, and then, of course, there is reviewing and tracking data, um, um, the infusion of technology, making sure there is differentiated instruction, uh, really trying to stimulate the students um, on on what, what they would perceive the learning is best for them, whether it's visually, auditory, tactile, kinesthetic, just those different learning styles. Um, and, and again, pushing for academic excellence. And there's so many things we could talk all day, I'm sure, about all the things that we do to push for that academic excellence within a school. So that kind of speaks to a little bit about of what Fondren was doing before I became along. So now that we are, uh, now that we carry the International Baccalaureate um, stamp, we, we do that and more. Um, we understand um, very clearly. For example, let me give you an example for math. So in math, um, it's more than about teaching arithmetic. Um, it's, it's more about a process. You're teaching communication through math. You're teaching inquiry and inferencing and reasoning. Um, we have increased learning uh, for our teachers. So now we have two professional learning communities a week, um, constant training in IB, learning about the changes and how to infuse them into the fabric of the school. Um, our teachers are required to take GT hours. Um, we're learning constantly about how to increase the, um, the ability, um, the cognitive ability of the students to deliver summative projects um, and project-based learning, um, also about how to embrace diversity and, and, and inclusion. Um, there's so much more, um, and it, all of what Drew said before, but, you know, it's, it's also about culture and climate. Um, going from one to the next, there is a transformational process that has to happen, and you've got to be passionate about this unique approach to education. You know, we're, we're not just preparing students for high school and college, but we're preparing them for life. And you've got to exude this, this, this proud attitude about this transition um, and the level of academic rigor. So this is not just a transformational stage for students, but this, this includes 
everyone, every stakeholder. This means a change for the community. It's a change for parents and partners and, and teachers. So everybody's going through this change, and it's not easy. Um, as we're sitting and talking, and I was listening to Drew and just connecting to everything that he says, there is a grunt work, Dr. Perkins, um, and it is purposeful, intentional work, um, figuring out what the individual needs are of the children and treating them as such. Uh, this is authentic preparation to prepare students for life, for them to be able to take risks and, and face the challenges and to seize the opportunities um, you know, that may be before them. So it's so much more than just um, you know, open up your book, turn to page 15, and we're going to do a lesson. Um, it's you know, thought processes and um, being able to well, me, argue me, or debate me, a point. Me. Yeah, so, it's, so sorry to interrupt you. I, you know, as okay. you were discussing the different mm -hmm. aspects of, of what you're doing, one right. of the things I've, you know, I, yes, hello, can you hear me? Yes, I hear you fine. Yes, oh, okay. Um, so okay. one of the things that I, um, I, I thought about, you know, you mentioned professional learning communities and, mm -hmm. and authentic learning and authentic teaching processes. So what what is it exactly that, IB brings to that. Is there, so I, I know I heard you mention process and I heard uh, Drew also mention process. So for those who have not been in an IB school before, what exactly does that process look like? So, you know, we have listeners that are school board members who might want to explore um, the, the IB process and, and putting it into some schools. What, is it, what does that look like in terms of IB's involvement? and how they help you. So you mentioned a number of things that you're already doing, but how does IV, and, and Drew, uh, feel free to, to jump in as well, but how does, it, how does it help you to move to the next level? That's, that's a very good question. Um, so the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, recognizing that, you know, we are a common humanity, um, and we have shared guardianship of this planet. So it's not just about self um, IB brings in the element that we are creating a better world. That's, that is a key component of what IB brings in. It's not just about what I can do for myself. It's also about how I can do for others, how I can be a part of a larger community and understand that we're in this together and we can learn from each other. And so, you know, we have profiles where we're, we're taught, to, we're, we're teaching our children to be inqu inquirers and better communicators and be reflective, which, which I've and, and Drew may be able to connect to this, but reflective has been one of the most difficult pieces um, with regards to teaching. <laughs> he laughing. He's laughing because he knows what I'm talking about. Reflective has been one of the most difficult pieces to teach students. But I have to tell you, it's also difficult to teach adults. But when children have to reflect on their own learning, you're pushing their thinking. You're pushing them to be more open-minded and to trust the things that they've learned um, because a part of IB is a part of being knowledgeable and being balanced and to think. Drew talked about a little bit ago about you know, thinking outside of the box, and, and again, it's more than just about self, but being reflective means so much. And Drew, I'd like you to, to chime in on that because I have a tendency, because I'm right here in this work with, with teachers and kids, to talk more about that. But will you, will you add some more into this right here? Yeah, sure. The, the one thing, if we can sort of like uh, backtrack just a little bit, to mm -hmm. enter the IB community, a school goes through a very rigorous um, authorization process. Yes, yes. And it's, it's, it's not by accident that 
the I, implementing the IB has a transformative effect on learning communities. Um, because of the rigor of that process, it, it involves a two to three year time period where uh, teachers are required to go through professional development and workshops that we provide. Um, we also assign a consultant to work with the leadership at the school to support them through the process. And this is all by way of reinforcing um, the, the hallmarks of our various academic programs that really um, uh, focus on things that I've already mentioned, critical thinking and all these sorts of things. But mm -hmm. what it really focuses on the fact that the student is at the center of all of our programs. And it's in many cases, particularly in the PYP, the primary years program for elementary school and the MYP for middle school, where it's student-centered learning. So a teacher would have high-level objectives in terms of what needs to be covered in a particular time period, but the teacher will often go to the students to find out what excites them about this particular topic area and then go in that direction. So mm -hmm. one of the things that happens as teachers go through IB professional development is they see how important the actual um, practice of teaching is in implementing an IB program and best practices in, 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 in good classroom management and delivery in that a student, a teacher can't be the most effective teacher he or she is by standing in front of a room with chalk or a whiteboard marker these days or in front of a Prometheus board just talking at students. You know, the, the student really has to be at the center leading what's going on. And then also the thing that the IB brings to the table, in addition to the elements of looking at the IB learner profile is what IB students demonstrate, and I can talk about that in a moment. But what it brings is a level of rigor that's common across the globe. So if we go into a school at HISD, Houston Independent School District, that's implementing IB, whether it's in the middle years program like we've talked about or a diploma program in high school, they're being held to the same standards of curriculum and best practices, uh, best teaching practices as a school, in the most elite school in Singapore. Um, and there's something that's kind of elegant about that. Um, we're looking at you know high-level academic standards that that um, embrace rigor and, you know, re-energizing the teachers to, to do the best they can for students in the classroom. And, and if I could wow. add something, um, Dr. Perkins, is, is another thing about being an IB school is that every part of the learning is of the utmost importance. And there is, you know, there's sometimes a tendency to, um, to communicate that the arts are not important. But at an IB school, everything that we do is important from band to language acquisition to the arts from dance and theater anything that we do academic excellence no excuses it is everyone creates a summative project everyone must be reflective about what they're doing it is it's sure. not an option and it, and so sure. it sure. you know that is that is a very key component because students will take the attitude of I don't really have to pay attention in this class this is only dance Unacceptable. Unacceptable. And again, we do that well at H in HISD already. However, again, connecting with what Drew said, whatever's happening in, in Singapore and Argentina and other areas in an IB school, you can 
rest assured when you come to Houston at Fondren Middle School, it's going to be the same. The push for academic excellence is going to be the same across the board. And I'm very proud to be a part of that um, because the arts um, over the years have has, has kind of dwindled through schools. People are losing their programs for band. and They don't seem to be important anymore. And so I'm really proud that IB has done such an excellent job to bring the respect around the arts that it needs. And I think sure, that just sure. hits home the, the. Sorry, I think that just hits home the importance of developing the whole child and lifelong absolutely. learner. It's absolutely. not just about your math skills; it's about how you fit into the world and how you appreciate mm-hmm. the arts, or absolutely. you know, basically fanning the, wow. the fires of excitement in a student around all subject areas. One hundred percent. Sure, and you know, they, you know, one of the things that uh, with the IB brand certainly. Um, the, the high expectations and and all the things that you just talked about um, go hand in hand with what when I've talked to people um, who are either in the middle of IB or considering it um, um, have all said and and I think that's a very positive aspect of it. Um, so to our guests who are uh, uh, here, thank you. And we also have um, um, callers that have. Uh, are calling in, uh, please feel free. Any other guests uh, want to call in, 347-826-9029. Our listeners who are out there, if you want to call in, we have just a few more minutes and happy to take a few calls, 347-826-9029. I do have a, a few other um, components that I'd like to um, uh, follow up with uh, the two of you on, but we do have a caller uh, from uh, the Denver, Colorado area. Um, so, caller from Denver, are you there? Uh, yes, I am. Can you hear me? Yes, yes. Please go ahead with your question. Great. Good, after- good, good afternoon. Um, I, I have a question about, I guess, the implications of bringing up a, a program and scaling it globally. You know, if you just think in the United States about the political challenges of even getting the Common Core to be adopted, yet mm-hmm. uh, with the IB program, you have this rigorous set of standards that um, – has just grown and been accepted and adopted, and I know that that has not come without some sort of uh, political consideration and challenges. So I, I would, would be very interested if you could speak a little bit about uh, some of the the challenges and how IB has overcome yeah. those and become as recognized and successful that it has. Yeah, I think you know it's become successful because, as I referenced earlier, the the outcomes just have you know, a demonstrated track record of raising the bar in terms of student outcomes as well as re-energizing learning communities. As far as your question goes with respect to the connection to the Common Core, it's interesting. About a year ago, we had uh, a forum here in the Bethesda, Washington, D.C. area where we brought in some thought leaders around the Common Core as well as members of our stakeholder community from IB school districts all around uh, the country. And it was a forum specifically uh, on the Common Core. And the tagline for the meeting was connecting IB to the core. And Mary Aaronworth was one of our featured speakers, and she's one of the thought leaders around reading for understanding as well as um, ELA in the Common Core. And she was at the meeting, and she said, you guys have your tagline all wrong. It should be the Common Core catching up to IB. So uh, many, many of the elements that the IB has embraced over the, the last 45 years are the best practices in education that the, the Common Core simply is codifying. Um, to that end, another interesting thing, if, if, you're, if your viewer, if you, excuse me, your listeners have read the December-January issue of Education Leadership, uh, which is ASCD's um, 
magazine. There's a great profile of Southside High School in Long Island in New York. And what they did as part of their preparation for the Common Core is they required all of their 11th graders, which is pretty remarkable. Their entire 11th grade class had to take IB English. And they had those students who went through 11th grade IB English sit for the New York State Regents. They had a 100% pass rate for the first time on the New York State Regents. Wow. So wow. It, just, it just speaks to how IB is just great preparation for success um, in high school and college and university and life beyond. Um, so wow. I think we're in a pretty exciting place vis-a-vis Common Core and what we have to benefit. The one thing I do want to highlight is the IB has also been successful as a result of not being partisan. We're not run or controlled by any government mm-hmm. around the world. Um, you know, we're, we're an independent nonprofit, and we do our best not to be bent in, in any direction for political reasons, but instead to take the best of practices in the classroom and in the education space from around the world and slowly but surely make sure that our programs are best in class, both from an international education perspective, but in also preparing students to be lifelong learners. Great. Thank you Excellent. so much. Excellent. Yes. Thank you. Know, you. Dr. Thank Perkins, you for Dr. Perkins, as the caller's exiting, I just wanted to uh, say this. You know, when implementing IB, there are no shortcuts. And I think it's very important for your listeners to, to hear that and to understand. When you're implementing this program, it's, it is, it's impossible to, to do so and, and, and do it shortcutting. Um, you have to get into the work, plan the work. If it's not well planned or if you're not delivering the instruction well or you're not giving the children an opportunity to do the thinking work or giving them an opportunity to talk and build and explore, then you're not going to get the results that Drew is talking about. Having a group of 11th graders uh, or requiring them to to take that Regents exam um, because of the implementation of IB and how this program is rolled out Probably not going to get a hundred percent if it is not done with fidelity. Drew, would you agree with that? Absolutely. Obviously, you can't just throw kids into a random IB course. The, the course and the teacher have to have met the standards we required when the school is authorized, mm-hmm. and then the students, you know, can't just arrive at a, an eleventh grade class and expect them to perform without the support mechanisms in the earlier grades. Absolutely. Sure. It is, it sure. Is definitely and you know. A process. Sure, sure. And you know, most reform efforts, uh, that's, that's the, uh, the key, um, uh, is faithful replication of the model. And it sounds like um, in terms of your, your implementation, consultants and strategists, um, ensure that that happens. Um, otherwise, individuals aren't authorized. And so we're, as we, we are quickly, quickly approaching the end of the show, I do want to uh, get one last piece in because I know um, a number of my colleagues, as a former school board member, um, I know a number of my colleagues have said, well, you know, IB would be nice, but uh, there's a, a price tag attached that we just can't uh, afford right now. And so I, I just wanted to find out, you know, not in terms of attaching a dollar amount, um, mm-hmm. but, you know, for me, um, what I'm hearing, you know, the statistics, uh, that you have touted, um, how, where would you say, uh, Drew, that you fall? I mean, you, would you say you fall on the high end or the middle um, with regard to uh, whole school implementation uh, or, or school reform strategies? Um, because it sounds like all around um, you actually have a record and the research shows that you get results, mm-hmm. um, unlike a lot of places. 
you know, so could you just yeah, talk I mean, about in terms of the, sure. the, the expenditure of ID yep. uh, in relation to what you get out of it? Yeah, um, you know, it's it's a good question. It's a question that I field fairly frequently. You know, bringing in an IB program isn't, um, you know, a zero-resource endeavor. In fact, it does require the appropriate amount of resources. You know, I mentioned that teacher training is a requirement. There's also a rigorous authorization process that we provide, you know, on-the-ground support during. So there's lots involved um, but in terms of where we fall in terms of other programs, I don't think that there's actually a comprehensive, you know, I, I dare say that IB is turnkey, but we do have a comprehensive end-to-end uh, authorization process and then support ongoing that we offer. I don't think there's anything that's comparable, um, you know, in particular in the, at the elementary school level and the middle school level where we require all students to participate. Um, there, there's nothing like it out there. Um, what I do look to is some of our statistics in terms of number of schools joining the IB community. So historically, since 1968, we've doubled the number of schools about every five years, five or six years, depending. And you know, as we hit the, the economic crisis here in the U.S. in 2008, um, we were worried that we were going to see a drop-off of interest in IB programs, particularly because of the, the great strain put on education spending budgets as a result of uh, the economic downturn, and we just didn't see it. Schools recognize the value and benefit and the return on investment of bringing in an IB program in terms of student outcomes that we continue to see strong interest and continue to see today strong interest in bringing IB to more students, both in public schools in the U.S. and schools around the world. Wow, yes. Um, we Actually, we have one more caller coming um, in from it appears to be in the New York City area. Um, caller from New York City, are you there? Yes, I am. I okay. Would, um, wanted to ask a question that um, do they incorporate after-school programming in, with your with your how they implement their curriculum? And I'll take my call up to you. Did I hear the so it sound, Dr. Perkins? Yeah, it sounded it sounded like the question was. Um, do you implement um, uh, after-school program with the curriculum? So that's is that a, very a part good of question. the IB design? Is that a part of the IB design? I, I'm I'll answer the short answer to the question, and then okay. I'll, I'll, I'll pass it on. As part of our uh, implementation requirements, we don't have any requirements in terms of after-school programs. Um, what we do require is that students have the necessary support in place, and then I'll hand things over to you. Thanks. Thanks, Drew. So, um, and, he, and he's, he's right, but we do have an extended learning program, um, and this, together with IB, works it, it magically. Um, but our extended day program is specific to the needs of our students. These are not people who just show up at the end of the day. Uh, they don't know our children. They don't know the culture of our building. They don't know our mission. They don't know our vision. These are people who are on our campus all day. Um, they have a curriculum that we work together with um, HISD, with specific with our departments, uh, whatever the needs we have on our campus, which means if we are, if our students are struggling with vocabulary, reading fluency, accuracy, whatever that is, we are constantly taking it back to the drawing board to make sure that during the extended portion, the extended learning portion of the day, we're still meeting the needs of the students. Um, they um, incorporate apprenticeships at the end of the day, so we have NASA and we have all 
all kinds of partners that we've developed throughout the city to come in and to teach our students genetics and robotics and all of these things that are, again, transdisciplinary through our school, making sure that our students are continuing to develop a love of learning throughout the building, the arts, um, music, and more. And so the extended learning is not a babysitting time. This is not a time for you to come and, and just socialize with your friends. This is a very purposeful and intentional time uh, because we don't have the time to waste. Our, stu our school is 90% free and reduced lunch, so we, we have students who are behind. And so, again, our work is very deliberate. And every time we have an opportunity to be in front of children or to engage them in small group learning or to talk to them more about IB, we do so very intentionally. So the short answer to that question is yes, but it is not connected to IB. Sure, sure. Um, well, we have already, this is, it has been a wonderful, wonderful um, show. Um, we have already uh, extended um, something like uh, nine minutes over uh, the the uh, the board uh, phone call board is lit up, and I'm, uh, I have to apologize in advance to all the callers who are there waiting. We're not going to be able to take um, your calls today. Um, we're we're over our allotted time. Um, but for the rest of you, uh, please tune in again next month um, on February 12th, where we will uh, continue with more discussions on education leadership. Um, so thankful to you, Drew. Uh, Monique, my pleasure. thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thank um, you for having and, me. Yes, my pleasure. And uh, to the listeners, until next time, go well, stay well. Take care. Thank you. Thanks, Drew. It was a pleasure to meet you. Thanks, Dr. Burnett. Great to meet you. Bye.